Okay, guys, welcome to episode number 11 of the Make It Stack podcast. Um, my name is Will Waterhouse, and um, I also run the Case and Analytics um, Instagram page, uh, basically just trying to help demystify saving and investing for young people. So this is, this is why I'm doing the podcast, really. It's just to uh, give me an outlet to provide my take on things and uh, so hopefully the listeners you guys will be able to get some value out of this so today um i was planning to talk about analyzing the s&p 500 bear markets over the last 100 years so you know as i'm sure you're all aware stock markets can go through troubling times uh stocks go down as well as up and, and no one likes to see their investments go in the red um but I guess a lot of a lot of what people want to know when they're getting into the world of investing is like how bad are these are these drawdowns? Um, I feel as though people may not appreciate how savage they have been, or in fact how minor they've been in nature. Um, so we're just going to go through a couple of historical examples and just look at the uh, bear markets in terms of severity and duration. So the the first the first one um, that we're going to look at, this is all in chronological order, by the way, is the Wall Street crash of 1929. So um, the the S and uh, had a max drawdown. Um, for those of you that don't know, a max drawdown is is basically the the, the largest peak to trough fall in percentage terms. Um, so yeah, there was a max drawdown of eighty six percent which is uh, huge. So that, that's, that's basically saying that if you, if you invested £100 at the market peak in 1929, um, that will have gone down to £14, uh, which is um, quite severe indeed. And it would have actually have taken you until 1954 um, before the S&P actually reached the highs of 1929. Um, so, yeah, the roaring 20s, following the end of the First World War uh, coincided with widespread migration to America's cities as people searched for a more prosperous life in the ever-growing industrial sector. Um, you know, the 20th century was, was the American century, I think that's fair to say. Um, and, yeah, people were very um, bullish about um, U.S. companies. And so... Irrational exuberance resulted in an unsustainable boom in share prices, much of which was purchased on margin. Um, I think that's quite an interesting point, uh, the fact that there was people buying stock on margin. Um, I mean, just from my, my perspective, I thought, you know, leverage was, 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 was more modern than that. But uh, it turns out, um, you know, every man and his dog was, was, was borrowing to invest, even in the 1920s. Um, so after the bubble burst um, in 1929, many investors who had purchased stock on margin were left penniless. So big time capital destruction uh, and fear spread to other parts of the economy, resulting in reduced consumer demand and high unemployment. And so the 1930s, so the, the, the decade um, 
the, the preceding decade uh, were probably the darkest years for US equities. Uh, if you'd invested in September 1929 at the market peak, it would have taken you 25 years to break even. Uh, just to just to clarify this point, this is not including the reinvestment of dividends. It's not including income in, in, in your investments. Obviously, shares pay dividends periodically. And so, um, yeah, I basically I didn't have access to that data. Um, I would I would have used the S&P total return if, if I if I if I had that information, but I, I didn't. But it still paints still paints an interesting picture. Um what I think is crazy is that the the market the market fell by like fifty percent um, over about a year, uh, and people may have like bought the dip, but it still went down another over over another fifty percent from that point, which is is quite remarkable, really. So the second bear market that I'll talk about is the oil price shock of nineteen seventy three. So there was a max drawdown of minus 48%. And the duration of the drawdown was from 1973 to 1980. So it would have taken you seven years to recoup your losses, uh, not including the reinvestment of dividends. Uh, so what happened with the oil price shock? So in October 1973, the members of OPEC, which stands for the Organization of Arab petroleum exporting countries proclaimed an embargo on several Western countries, primarily resulting from the support of Israel in the Arab-Israeli war. Um, so yeah, it was a bit a bit of a, a geopolitical bit of geopolitical tensions here, and um, basically the the Arabs turned the taps off, and the U.S. were heavily reliant on oil imports because. Um, you know the, the the U.S. economy was 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 doing reasonably well in that part of the time, and they had to rely on uh, oil imports to to keep up with 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 domestic demand. Um, and even the even the the vast oil fields of Texas um, couldn't churn out enough oil. So as a result, by 1974, the price of oil had risen by nearly 300 percent, um, from three dollars to twelve dollars a barrel. Uh, which is uh, quite a large increase in price. Uh, so inflation increased because you know oil, oil is oil is a key factor of production, and so if the, if if input costs go up, then then the prices for goods and services will will have to increase accordingly. Um, and so uh, inflation was increased and was combated by tighter monetary policy, which which was um, higher interest rates, and so um, economic output slumped. Um, contrary to popular belief, uh, the stock market didn't necessarily suffer in the 1970s um, due to companies being unable to increase their earnings in line with inflation. Uh, the reason lay with an overly pessimistic investment outlook. So, so what I mean by this is that ultimately investors wanted to pay less for each dollar of earnings um, and the, the S&P uh, price earnings multiple fell by two thirds between 1969 and 1981. So basically, the the risk appetite of of investors was that equities weren't a good investment, and that they they wanted a higher margin of of, of um, higher higher margin of error, so so to speak, um, or margin of safety rather. 
So the third bear market I'm going to look at is the dot-com bubble um, of 2000. So there was a drawdown of minus 47% uh, between 2000 and 2002. Um, so the dot-com bubble was it involved a rapid rise in the US technology stock equity valuations. And this was fueled by investments in internet-based companies in the late 1990s. So the, the invention of the internet was both a new business opportunity and a new technology. And uh, every man and his dog was pouring capital into startup ventures, some of which were of dubious quality. Um, in 1999, 39% of all venture capital investment was allocated to internet companies that were barely profitable. And in fact, many of these businesses weren't forecast to be profitable for several years. So I know that um, with, with the internet coming to the fore during, during the late 90s, uh, people were kind of a bit unsure as to how to value these, these companies. And certain metrics were introduced in terms of, uh, certain metrics were, were used to help value companies such as the number of clicks on a website. Which of course, it, I mean, it may not be that linked to to revenue or profitability. Um, it's quite quite an quite an interesting time to be a an equity analyst. Um, the so the company Cisco uh, that produced internet routers and switches was dubbed the backbone of the internet and traded at a total market cap of six hundred billion dollars. And um, by by coincidence, that's that's around the same size as Tesla. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure which valuation is is more fair. Cisco, Cisco in 1999, or Tesla now. I guess that's one for another time. And uh, so between 1995 and 2000, the Nasdaq, which is the um, a, a U.S. technology index, quintupled in value. Uh, prudence went out the window and irrational exuberance was once again out in force. And um, yeah, castles in the clouds, which, which is a, a lovely phrase, I must say, that I read in the book, uh, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, basically refers to um, prices becoming wildly detached from intrinsic value. So if, if, you, think of, if you think of intrinsic value as, as being the foundation for investing in something. If something's in the clouds, it's it's obviously doesn't have a, a solid foundation. So yeah, castles in the clouds um, are subject to gravity at some point, and and they will fall back down to to, to ground. Um, and a market sell off ensued in two thousand and one, and the the bottom of the market wasn't reached until the following year. Uh, so that was the that was the dot com dot com bubble bursting. Um, yeah, you wouldn't have wouldn't have recovered your your investment until 2007 um, in terms of S&P price returns. So number four, global financial crisis, brackets GFC, just another acronym for you guys. People love acronyms these days. So max drawdown of minus 56%. So, so quite severe, worse than the oil price shock and the dot-com bubble. And uh, the S&P didn't reach all-time highs until 2013. I didn't recover losses until then. So um, off the back of the dot-com bust and the 9-11 attacks, US interest rates were lower to 1% to stimulate economic growth. 
as I'm sure you know, lower interest rates mean lower cost of borrowing, which uh, promotes investment in, um, in, in sort of capital infrastructure to promote growth. So, so this, as a result, um, meant that there was a cheap, cheap cost of financial institutions to borrow and therefore made leverage appealing. So we're seeing a key theme here, leverage. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's like a drug in a sense, you know, it can, it can really enhance certain things, but uh, if, if used too frequently or too excessively, it, it can result in, in, in damage. Um, but anyway, um, relaxed restrictions on lending from financial institutions meant that credit was given to ninja individuals. So by ninja, this is another acronym, stands for no income, no job application. So yeah, so credit mortgages um, were given to, to these, these ninja individuals who had no means to repay their mortgage, especially if rates increase. And just, just to clarify, if, um, if you take out a mortgage that's floating rate and then rates increase, chances are the rate on your mortgage will too. And so this means that your monthly payments will increase in pound terms. And so if you're, if you're sitting on, on, um, on, a, on a sort of uh, unsuitable level of income, you might not be able to pay off your mortgage. So subprime lending ballooned and these mortgages were packaged up into collateralized debt obligations by investment banks and sold on to investors who were chasing high rates of return. So basically all of these, all of these mortgages were, were packaged together and, uh, and sold as, as, as a sort of their own investment product. And um, yeah, given, given the dubious credit quality, they were um, invested, investors got a higher rate of return than, than they would have done on, say, treasury bills, things like that. And so between 2004 and 2006, the federal funds rate, which is similar to the Bank of England base rate, increased over 5% by 2006. And uh, individuals could not pay their mortgages, and so lenders repossessed homes, so there were foreclosures. And the number of homes for sale drastically increased, resulting in falling market prices. Resultantly, uh, CDOs significantly lost value. So... Yeah, just to go back to the CDOs, if if these ninja individuals stopped paying off the mortgages, the the income the income repayments that would go to the investors stopped, um, and uh, because the the there were so many houses being put on the market because they were being foreclosed, the the value of houses went through the floor. So basically, the owners of these CDOs were were, were sat on a pile of garbage. And given that financial institutions were highly levered. They faced the possibility of not being able to pay back their debt, and banks like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns went bust. Um, I've, I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, either on my Instagram account or on the podcast, but I'd very recommend you see the film The Big Short. Um, it has a very decent representation of what happened during the global financial crisis. Uh, so, number five, the final drawdown of the podcast. So this is COVID-19 pandemic. And um, yeah, despite the fact that the economic decline in Q1 2020 was, was very severe, I think it might have even been the most severe drop in output on record, um, the, the stock market only actually fell by 32% at its worst, which was in the middle of March 2020. And actually, the 
S&P 500 actually recovered all losses by August that year, which is quite remarkable, um, you know, given that COVID-19 pr- triggered a dramatic downturn in stock markets and, and forced economies to shut, resulting in a fast and steep global recession. Um, I guess I guess what was done with COVID-19 or in the response to COVID-19 was just unprecedented levels of quantitative easing that was imposed by central banks, especially the Federal Reserve. Um, so a lot of money was injected into the system, which, which probably helped grease the wheels of, of, um, you know, of, of financial markets um, and just the economy in general. Um, what, what else was interesting about COVID-19 was that it accelerated existing global megatrends including the adoption of digital communication and just you know the further integration of the the using using the internet to to get stuff done and uh, this benefited the the large tech firms in silicon valley and uh, investors wanted to allocate to these companies uh, for example alphabet uh, amazon etc um facebook i guess too um you know, the, these companies appear to, to hedge the impact of the virus in the sense that, you know, um, social distancing or not, tech, tech firms can still carry on and provide value. Uh, so the S&P 500 was tech concentrated pre-COVID. So the strong sector performance uh, helped the index recover from the lows in March and, and break new highs by August. Um, uh, yeah, and as I'm sure you'll agree, COVID-19 doesn't actually look that bad by historical standards. You know, the drawdown was only six months long. Uh, compare that to the uh, Great Depression of 20, 27 years, I think it was, 24 years. Uh, and so, yeah, br- bringing this all together. So um, I know you can't see this, but but basically I've done a chart which basically superimposes all of the drawdowns together. And the the Wall Street crash was the worst by a long way. Uh, almost 25 years of, of a drawdown, whereas COVID was was the least bad of six months. Um, the remaining crashes were between six and eight years. Um, but again, it is worth noting that reinvesting dividends throughout these periods will have resulted in, in higher returns over the long run, as you would have benefited from buying shares at heavily deflated prices and, of course, compound interest. So basically what I'm saying here is that if you if you if you invested at the market peak um but then received your dividends and then bought shares when they were trading at a very low um a very low price i.e. discounted to 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 true asset value that would have translated to higher returns so again that's that's another key takeaway for people which is to you know try try and ensure that you're constantly adding money in every month or or, or reinvesting your dividends because it will help smooth the returns. Um, and as Mark Twain said, um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. So stock markets have proven time and again that they can undergo prolonged periods of negative performance before new highs are made. Uh, falls of at least 50% have happened, and this will likely happen again. And so um, what, what's the key takeaway? for the listeners here so investors should acknowledge and respect what history tells us and keep these 
you know, charts, the, these previous performances at the back of our minds, and it will mean that you'll keep your head when others around you are losing theirs. So stay humble, have a long time horizon, and keep calm and ride the vol. And um, yeah, I hope I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, all all views on my own, and and this should not be regarded as financial advice. This is more. The point of this podcast is more around education. I, I'm a big advocate for trying to empower people to just invest using their own initiative. Investing isn't isn't a complex thing, despite what professionals may say. And um, I wish you all the best with your with your investments. Um, please feel free to to reach out to me. Uh, my Instagram account is. Katen underscore analytics. Um, yeah, and again, feel free to to leave a review about this podcast. Thank you very much, guys. I'll speak soon. Cheers.